Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Pride. I'm Adam Martin, and with me as always, it's alive! We're alive! The Celtics are alive! I am feeling warm and fuzzy on the heels of this five-day or five-game win streak by the Celtics. Um, you know, they're they're just filling my heart with joy. Adam, how do you feel? What what's your relationship like with the Celtics these days? Yeah, Mike. Last time you and I were on the podcast, I was talking about how the Celtics and I were on a break. Um, I, I'm back, and we're working on things. Um, and are, the team are they appears, are they taking you back? Because well, the, the team I appears hope to they're be giving taking, you a cold shoulder. Take no, they back. they appear take to be taking back. Wow, they appear to be taking seriously the concerns that I had, and they're showing signs of working on things. And I think not just me, <laughs> but the other fans that were sick and tired of of the way that they were have been playing um, are also reengaged, uh, and rightly so. So you know. I'm continuing to be patient. Things are encouraging. The Celtics, look, they, they've got a five-game win streak. First five-game win streak since April of last year. They haven't had a win streak over three games otherwise this season. Uh, stat of the day from uh, our resident stat expert, Josh Motenko. Uh, they haven't had a seven-game win streak since November of 2019. This has not been a fun two-year, three-year stretch. 12-4 uh, and four in the last 16 games. 4.1 point differential on the season. This is not the four numbers wow. Mike has been talking about recently. This is uh, aggregate on the season. They're basically tied for the sixth seed in the East, four and a half games out of first place. And the next game is the against the team we're tied with. One of the two. One of the teams we're tied with, the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, um, yeah I mean... There, there's, you know, try, try as some Celtic fans might, there's not a whole heck of a lot to complain about. I'm sure there are some things that fans out there will want it. I'm, I'm sure you can, I'm sure many Celtics fans can, but the bottom line is that our defense has been absolutely suffocating. The, the broadcast showed a stat from the last 15 games. The Celtics had like a 101, it was like 101.7 net rating. And the next closest was 106 point something it was somewhere around that it's like a five five point something difference in overall net rating over a 15 game stretch that is obscene and then we went out and held the magic to what 80 86 points or 83 points so we are truly forging in a, a defensive juggernaut identity um and our offense is slowly but surely starting to get better and better we're playing with way more pace Ime's made clear he's emphasizing kind of kicking the ball up the court. Um, there were times when the Celtics were a bit sluggish in, in the game against the Magic, and they called timeouts. You could tell Ime reinforced this message. They started playing with a lot more pace and, and started pushing the lead out further and further. Um, it, it's amazing what having all of your best players, like your top eight players, all healthy for a continuous stretch together for like literally the first time in this two year stretch period uh, can do, it can, it can work wonders, especially when you have a rookie coach bringing in a, a somewhat new system and, and preferences. They are also not playing down to their competition when they're playing a bad team. They're beat, they're blowing them out when they're playing a team that is shorthanded and missing half of their players. They're beating them handily. 
And earlier in the season, they were not doing that. They were losing to these teams. They were playing down to their level, and they, they've stopped doing that. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am to, to see them do that. I, I don't feel like they've played against some really difficult competition, good teams who have had their whole team together recently. Right. Uh, so we have yet to see them against playoff-style competition, but they're taking care of business the way that you would expect that they would have coming into the season. Yeah, Adam, I think that's the the ammunition that the haters have. Like since December 31st, when they played the Phoenix Suns and, and won that game, we've had games against Orlando, San Antonio, New York twice, Indiana. Philly was a good game. Like that was that's a good team. Chicago. But then it's like New Orleans, Charlotte, Portland, Washington, Sacramento, Atlanta, New Orleans again. You know, and so it's like all, you know, Detroit and Orlando most recently. So that is, I think that is true. We have not like been doing this consistently against top teams, um, but you know we're trending upwards in a way that's extremely exciting. The other thing I'm seeing is their passing has been looking yeah. better and better. Uh, Jason Tatum is finding people. Uh, the whole team is is passing the ball around in really really nice ways. So I mean they they kind of Mike, you mentioned their, their defense, how how stifling they have been. This has been a good defense since the beginning of the season. They figured that part out earlier, and then they've been struggling for, what, three months now to figure out how, the offense. And it's like they finally just decided <laughs> to stop playing your turn, my turn, and to run an actual offense. Uh, most of them. I don't know if I can say that about Dennis Schroeder. But Jason Tatum, when his shot is not falling, he's trying to find other players. He's racking up some nice assist numbers. Um, and, and so that's really nice to see, too. Yeah, I mean, they they certainly were a, a, a solid defensive team from the get-go, but they just, over the last 10 games, their defensive rating is 99.7, so it's sub-100. The next closest team is the Oklahoma City Thunder in that stretch at, with a defensive rating of 105.9. Like, 99.7 is just obscenely, obscenely good. Over the last... Um, eight games it's even better it's 94.6 which is mind-blowing to have a defensive rating below 95 for an eight game period so they like they really have elevated on that side of the ball i mean offensively they've been solid uh they're they're you know top 12 in in that last eight game period um but they're so far and away number one on defense that while the strides on offense are encouraging I, i i think you know, when we do play tougher competition, I would say buckle up, buckle in Celtics fans. There are going to be frustrating turnovers. I think there will be a bit of a slide back into bad habits on the offensive side on the ball. On defense, I think this is who we are. Yeah, yeah, it's gotten even better. I, I've got a Tatum theory I want to see what you guys think of here. Um, and so I was watching the Charlotte game, taking notes on Tatum. Like, he's making the right reads. I wish his some of his passes were a little more crisp, like when uh, he threw a couple floaters out of double teams to Rob that got picked off on the perimeter. But I'm watching him. I, I then, like, the notes start going towards, like, oh, he's not getting back on defense again because he's complaining with the refs. His focus is is waning. He's not hustling as much. It's affecting his rebounding. Oh, here's a play. He did, He's late to get back on defense. He doesn't chase after a rebound that he may or may not have gotten. And he lets uh, um, Lamelo get it, and then Lamelo beats him off the dribble uh, to the rim, and it's just kind of like he's just not in the play and, and gets blown by. Um, and then he throws the talcum powder and gets teed up for it, mm-hmm. and then spends the next few minutes 
arguing with the referee or like trying to get the referee to understand that he should not have gotten a technical foul because he, the reason he threw the talcum powder was that he was frustrated at himself. And it made me realize that I don't think Jason Tatum has ever read the NBA rule book. <laughs> I don't think he actually knows what the rules are around technical fouls and probably around fouls because he argues things that don't make any sense and he loses his focus because he feels like he, sh he he feels like he got fouled, but he actually didn't because of the rule of ver verticality or something similar. Um, Adam, can and, I ask you a quick question? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's another piece on this, but yeah. What percentage of players do you think in the NBA have read the NBA rulebook? It's a great question. It, I mean, is it greater it, than Chris Paul? I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm guessing <laughs> it's less than 50%, and it should yeah. be 98%. <laughs> Uh, I, mean, there's, I think, there's I think, I think when we're talking things... about unrealistic expectations oh, come uh, on. of Jason Tatum, no, we should add no. yours. This no. 98% of the NBA players, uh, there's no way 98% no. or close have read. The I'm sorry, book. Mike, let him finish. Let him finish the theory. <laughs> okay. If you are an NBA player and you get to this level and you are a Jason Tatum level player, like the difference between Tatum and and the lebron level like i think there's some athletic and, and physical difference for sure but like when you get to that point the difference is mental you have to know what's going on you have to be thinking you have to be playing uh ch chess and not checkers and part of how to do that is knowing what the rules are like marcus smart part of why he's such a good defender is he knows what they are going to call and what they are not draymond green is the same way on defense Tatum has been doing things his whole career, like he'll get frustrated and he'll get the ball and uh, in, in, like before giving it back to a ref, he'll do like the power dribble where he throws the ball really hard down and then catches it. But once in a while, he won't catch it. And every single time that should be called a technical based on, on the rules, like you're not allowed to throw the ball into the air. He will change the way he throws the ball back to the referee with he'll do it with frustration. And that is going to get called on him. He'll have a guy running ahead of him on the break. Uh, who's going up for a dunk or a layup and Tatum decides he's not going to contest it, but he'll put his hand on the guy's hip or lower back and gets called for fouls that time. Every time he's not called for those things, he's lucky. But I've, I watched this stuff happen. I'm like, dude, don't pound the ball like that. You're going to get called for that. I don't think he knows. And maybe it's on no, the coaches no, no, to, no. to to let players know what the rules are, but come on, read the rule book. Yeah. No, no one's reading the rule book, Adam. There, there's like 30 or 40 guys in the NBA who are reading the rule book. You think DeMarcus Cousins has read, read the NBA rule book <laughs> regarding fouls? Like, no, like half, 98% of these guys have not, I would say. You know, it's, so. I agree. Like, Josh and I are in full agreement on this one. <laughs> because what, what they're doing is they're watching film, they're playing, they're reacting to what the calls that they're seeing. And they're lost in their own perspective of each of the calls, right? And so they're obviously arguing it. Um, it's good to continue to argue it to stay on the refs because the accumulation of that might actually get you a call. And then they're Within watching reason. a ton of film. They're watching a ton of film. And so any rules that come up in the film that they're watching and adjustments that the coaches are saying reg uh, regarding that film specifically, they'll then take in that. But they're not, I mean, if you're an NBA coach and you're, you're giving your assi an assignment to the players to go like, Everyone gets a rule book. Everyone has to read this tonight. Like, come on, who are you? I mean, it's not you've just lost, read you've the lost rule book. the players on on whatever wow. that day is. <laughs> what a missed opportunity! It's not. It's not. It, I'm not. 
My argument is know how the game is called. Know what the rules are. Know how the refs call it. I, Part of that is reading is knowing what the I, rules I, are. I just don't. I mean, that was like an all-time rant, Adam, for you. The Celtics are playing the best they've played in two years. Like, where is that? Where is this frustration bubbling up from? Like, and here's can, the other can we thing, just Adam. enjoy it for like a moment here? Who's who's leads the team in games played, Adam? You know, I'm assuming it's Tatum. It's Tatum. Yeah, leads the team in points. You know, second on the Le- team. Leads the NBA in points. Yeah, he leads the NBA in points. Yeah, depending on the day. Yeah. So, like, this is – he's – I think just his consistency with which he's showing up is a testament to, like, his – to why that your whole rant is a little silly, like, at this time. You know, like, yeah, the little things that you're noticing, they are happening, sure. But at least he's out there every single game. He hasn't really taken any days off. Like, at least he's the one leading every single time. And on those few days when his shot's not falling – you know, I think that we can look towards those little things that we see every game that you're bringing up as like kind of more glaring, but it's rare that his shot's not falling. It's rare that he's not, you know, leading this team on the court. It's so I I don't know if the, I don't know about the timing of this rant. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Cosign. I accept, I accept your, that response. Uh, I, I just, his, his tantrums just, drive me crazy and and part of it is because there's a lot of these games where Jalen Brown is the one that that is leading this team I know Tatum is drawing more um defenders and and he's, and he's, he's playmaking play a, a lot role. he's playmaking a lot yep. more he he averaged 4.6 assists uh for the month of January he's averaging five assists so far in two games played in in February Brown? so he no, Tatum. Tatum. Tatum, yeah. Yeah, Tatum, Tatum has really, really upped his game uh, in terms of the pace he's playing with, getting downhill, opening things up for others. He's still struggling yeah. with his shot, but he is he is commanding the offense. He's the going way. strong to the hoop. Yeah. As if he's going strong to the hoop to the hoop and having like a large assist number, I think I don't really care how many times he slams the ball down and almost gets a technical. Because if he does those two things, we're going to win a lot more, and that's more. Then it's more likely that he's actually going to get the superstar treatment that he's expecting. Right? This is all based on I expect to be a superstar and get those calls. But my but my team is five hundred every year. <laughs> Once my team is like in contention for championships, now he's actually going to start getting those calls and getting the respect that he thinks his name deserves. You know, and then and then he's never going to get teed up for slamming the ball down like that because LeBron just... never does. I had no idea this rant was coming, Adam. This is, <laughs> this is... yeah. This was this was not in the notes. <laughs> oh God! Um... I, I don't think Jalen Brown has gotten enough credit for helping to carry this team during this this winning stretch. Uh, I think the All Star snub uh, is something that he's probably like internally uh, fuming a little bit about, uh, and and rightly so. Um, and I'm curious what you guys think about, uh, do you think he will get into the all-star game as a replacement for an injured player? Um, and what's the impact of him not, not making it? I do not think he will make it. I think he absolutely deserves it. Whether you look at the numbers or even the games that he's played, I think that games played these days with the COVID protocols is a little different than it was two, three years ago when deciding all-star situations and or selections and uh, I think that a potential snub which is obviously really likely at this point 
is um, going to be a motivator for him. I think I think that Jalen Brown is a perennial All Star. You know, I mean, you've listened to this podcast for uh, more than four or five times. You'll know that I think that Jalen Brown is as good as Jason Tatum, as important to our team, um, and and I think it, you know even throughout the league, like he he just is the most consistent uh, of anyone on our team. Until Tatum really showed that he was going to have lead the you know lead the team in games played this year, so Tatum is now like becoming more consistent. But throughout the last six years that they've been in the league, it's been Brown is the consistent one, and he's just continued to improve stead- like a little more steadily than Tatum has. So Tatum's been like skyrocketing the last three years, and I think Brown is more surprising people. I mean, there's people coming out of the draft each year. Um, who are like six seven, six eight, really athletic and can't shoot very well, and people are comping Jalen Brown for them. So even like across the league, people think Jalen Brown is still that guy who's maybe more of a forward and more of an athletic driver. And I mean, just offensively and defensively, he's he's a guard for his All Star selection. He's a guard. He's a really good shooter. He's just you know I think that I think the world of Jalen Brown and. Um, I hope that this snub is going to be like something that makes him really hungry and gives him a little bit extra motivation because he's he should be a perennial all star. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't think quite as highly of Jalen as you do. I think Jalen's really really good. I think he's a borderline all star. Um, do you think he's definitely better than Lamelo Ball? No, uh, I think right now he is, but I th- but I think it's better for Lamelo to make the all star game, and I think Lamelo is the most exciting and best player on the Hornets. You know, and I think his stats will show that as soon as next year or the year after when he's like consistently averaging over 20, 22 points per game. He's still like kind of coming into his own and his his stats, just like his body are still filling out, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think I think Jalen rightfully believes he should be an all star every year is how I would say it. Like, I don't think it's outlandish for Jalen to be in the all star conversation on an annual basis. And, you know, I, I think the fact that the Celtics were a 500 team until this recent five game win streak and that Jalen missed a significant amount of time this year with injury, both are very reasonable reason for him not to have made the all-star team. You know, there is going to be an injury replacement for Kevin Durant. My guess is that that'll be Jarrett Allen. So I I would be surprised if Jalen ended up making the all-star game. As far as implications of that, you know, he has, I think it's like a $1.9 million uh, bonus in his contract. So I'd be pretty pissed too if I if I didn't make yeah. it and I had 1.9 million dollars uh, staked to that outcome. You know, I think I think this ties a little bit into kind of the the concerns I had speculated about and that that seemed to come to light uh, with with some sourcing recently uh, about you know if the Celtics continue to be perform at a mediocre level and it Im- impacts kind of you know Jalen and Jason's ability to kind of elevate their standing in the league uh, as well as just be on a winning team, then they could get antsy and want to move. I don't know. I think that's a conversation for a future pod. I want to throw the stat out there that Jalen Brown is 14th in the NBA in points per game. Tatum is ninth and Bede is first at 29.3 points per game. And Embiid's played 41 games, the same amount as Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown and points per game is right next to Carl Anthony Towns, Zach Levine, Devin Booker. Yeah, but but Embiid, Embiid is playing at an MVP level. Totally. I'm I not mean, comparing them. Okay. I'm comparing their games played. 
if anyone's using that as a reason not to vote Jalen, but Brown it, it's into a, the it's, game. my point is it's, it's a mixture of things. Like sure. If Jalen was playing at an MVP level at 40 games, you can permit that. If he's playing at a borderline all-star level as it is at 40 games, then that bumps him down a peg. Does the recent winning streak uh, positively impact his chances? You think? Uh, it can't no. hurt him. It can't hurt him. <laughs> no, it's too late. Too little. Too late. If if we had had a you know this record more consistently throughout the first half of the season, I think that you know five games over five hundred or more, I think that impacts how many all stars we can get on the team on you know into that game. Um, but as a five hundred team, like you're just not winning enough to get accolades individually. And you look at like someone like Jared Allen, he's, you know, averaging 16 Dude. points, 11, 11 boards a game, two assists, his PER, which is, you know, just about exclusively offensive efficiency, but it's 23.3. Uh, Jalen's is like 18.3. Um, he's also the defensive anchor for that team. And that team is the, I think, third in the East right now. Yeah. So... Dude, he's like, there's, such a beast. He, yeah, there's no way I, I, you can reasonably argue, in my mind, that someone like him should not make it in lieu of Jalen, as much as I love Jalen. Uh, and I think Jalen's awesome. I'm very happy the Celtics have him. I understand why he wants to be in the all-star conversation. I think he deserves to be considered for that seriously. I just don't think it's actually a snub. Like, I don't think he's the most deserving to be there. Yeah, I watched Jared Allen play against Charlotte two couple nights ago, three nights ago, and he they were going to him inside, like, the entire game, and he was just trying to dunk everything, and everything was, like, almost just smashing on somebody's head. Like, he's, he's out on a mission you know, offensively in the post, which is not normally his thing. He's a rim runner catching lobs and a defensive anchor, like you said. But, I mean, he just is emerging almost as, like, the leader of that team. Like, everyone's drooling over Evan Mobley, and obviously Darius Garland is having, you know, his career year, uh, you know, <laughs> making the Kyrie Irving comps more legitimate for him. Uh, but But Jared Allen is, like, unquestionably the leader of that team just from watching them play, like, the way that they go to him, the way that they defer to him the way that they know that he's going to like get other people involved as well and and be selfless i think that he's he's like the engine of that team well i know we want to get into some trade talk but i don't think we can completely move on from the recent stretch of success without mentioning two names marcus smart and robert williams who have both played exceptionally well yeah i was as you were talking about jared allen uh josh just now i was wondering do we think Robert Williams can and will get better than Jared Allen is currently? No. Jared Allen is, you know, 6'11", 7' foot compared to Robert Williams, 6'8", 6'9". And I compare Robert Williams more to Rich, Mitchell Robinson. He's, he's, oh, more he's way someone... better than Mitchell Robinson. I, I agree. I think What's that the comparison debatable. you're doing, Josh? Like, how are you comparing? In terms of style of play? Um, yeah, it's like, a different comparison. Yeah, like Robert Williams is really good at really specific things, and there's a f only a few of them. I don't see Robert Williams as being a post threat ever in his career, like someone you can give the ball to either facing up or with his back to the basket. I don't think he even wants to do that stuff. I think he more loves you know catching lobs and uh, tip dunks and follow-ups and offensive rebounding, uh, and then obviously being someone who could guard all over the floor. He finally blocked that three-pointer at the end of reg, uh, regulation to seal us the win a couple of games ago. And 
that was the first time in a while that he's actually guarded the three-point shot well, I think, even though he has all the tools in the world to be able to do that laterally to stay in front of somebody and obviously jump into block shots. But, you know, he's just, I think he's always going to be limited in the number of things that he's good at. And he's just going to stick to like the few that, that he's already proving to be really good at. And so I don't know if his game is going to like round out or be well-rounded, but in today's NBA, you don't need that. You just need him to, to be that Clint Capella type. I think that's a better comp. Yeah, I can, I can see Mike. that. I, I'm curious if he'll, I mean, he, he showed um, little snippets of a, of a face up, you know, basically just like a 15 footer um, jump shot last season that has been yep. completely put on ice it seems which is fine because he's he's you know being a star in his role so to speak um but i am curious if kind of that part of his game uh could come come around i do agree i, I don't see him as much of a post threat though you know it would be certainly fun it, he seems like the type of player just like in terms of build and athleticism that could develop a hook shot if he actually like really tried um, but I bet he won't try because it's, it's like just not, <laughs> it's not what anybody develops anymore. Think about it like this. When you talk about a basketball player, oftentimes you're wondering like, is he a shooter or a driver? And Robert Williams, you're like, he's not either, you know, but Jared Allen is a driver. He'll put, he'll fake a handoff dribble once and try to smash it. You know, he's often like off the dribble once or twice trying to go to the hole. When's the last time you saw Robert Williams try to go to the hole on one or two dribbles? Yeah, no, I, I no, yeah. no, no, I didn't disagree with your totally. your, uh, yeah. your analysis. There. I, I mean, I think I heard Josh answering a different question. I mean, they they play two completely different styles. Yeah, um, but Mike, I heard your question more as, uh, do you think Robert Williams can get at a high enough level in terms of his regard to what he's good at, his impact on the on his team, as Allen is on his team? Uh, and I think the answer is yes, for sure. Uh, just because Williams has so much unbelievable talent, not just athleticism, but but his passing skills that he's now showing um, as of last year, or, or they were there, um, but he's he's translated it to the the NBA, and so he can play a rim running role and and um, catch and pass, and and that's a a really really important piece for a center to have in the NBA. The other uh, thing I've been, about Robert. I've been treating this Robert Williams thing uh, like because you know we talked about Robert Williams at the beginning of the season when he signed his contract, uh, and I was outspoken about saying that I wasn't sure if it was the right, um, if it was uh, that I thought it was an overpay because he hadn't proven that he um, could stay on the floor, um, both in terms of minutes per game, but also uh, number of games played in a row due to injury. Uh, and I feel like I've been treating this as, like as a like a no hitter recently. Like I just don't want to talk about it. Yeah, you're waiting for him to get injured. Still, I bet I, I'm not waiting for it. No, but I'm no? just kind of like let's keep enjoying this as it's happening because I don't know when that's going to change. But he's so, he's proven it so far. It's just like let's just not talk about it. Let's just talk about what he's doing, <laughs> <laughs> like an announcer for a no hitter. Um, the the other thing that I love about Robert Williams right now is. Um, you can hear him talking a lot in the, like underneath the rim, the, like the rim has the the microphone on it. And so you can hear guys talking usually when they're around the rim or under the rim. And it's always Marcus Smart talking. And Robert Williams is a guy who's saying a lot out there, which to me is a sign of his comfort level from the continuity of several years with the same guys and like building that kind of rapport year after year. 
as you're as they're all kind of growing, but as specifically Rob is growing as a young guy. Um, you know, a lot of young guys don't don't do a lot of talking. And I think that he's both like saying things like, Oh, we got this, or like actually calling out defensive switches and things like that. So um I, I to me that's like just a little a little thing that I'd like to notice as I'm watching the games and another positive for the Time Lord. And Smart's plus minuses have been off the charts since he came back from his injury. Uh, he's just dialed in. I love it. Yeah, I mean the entire that entire starting unit. Uh, Smart has been tremendous. I don't like Smart has been exceptional on defense. He's he's not taking bad shots. He's pushing the pace. He's moving the ball well. Um, I would be very very sad if we traded Smart, which. Uh, leads me to um can i can i bring up a hypothetical for trade for you guys as we segue into kind of looking at the trade deadline ahead yes uh, not if it involves marcus smart no no it, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it does <laughs> so this was i I'm, I'm filling you know josh josh really hasn't filled his bill simmons um uh quota of late you know referencing no, the, bill, the bill simmons podcast so i'm I'm going to try to make up for a little bit of that. Um, Bill Simmons on a recent podcast was, I think he was talking to his dad. It doesn't really matter, but he was saying that he wants DeMontis Sabonis more than anything. He just thinks a team built around the Jays and DeMontis Sabonis would be phenomenal and he would be willing to give up pretty much anything else. So he, in, in effect, was proposing a trade for, for DeMontis built around Time Lord and Smart. I felt like that was would be insane. Uh, am I the crazy one here, or is is Simmons? I think if Brogdon is that deal, I I think about it. If it's both, I don't know that I Brogdon do it. Yeah. bonus. Yeah, I don't. I don't we, know if we, the numbers work on that or not. But I know we've we, we've talked about that on this podcast. In the well, past. we would we can't we can't that? we can't trade for Brogdon cannot be traded this season. Until, oh, is that it? Okay. He can't be traded until the off season because of oh. the extension he signed or whatever it was. No, I don't do that. No, that's why I haven't referenced the Bill Simmons podcast because he didn't. I wasn't agreeing with much of what he's been saying recently. Uh, no, I, I think, I think you have to think about that kind of a thing. Sabonis is, you know, he was an All Star. He's he's a good player. Um, does his passing really resolve all of our ball movement issues? Like, no, he's not that good of a passer. You know, he's not a game changing passer like that, in my opinion. Is his like defensively and and switchability and mobility like he to in my opinion he has to play the five and you know I, I think that he's potentially a weak spot defensively. This is exactly my issue with him. This is exactly my concern with him. And I love and I'm a huge Sabonis fan. You know, like I I, really I like am him too, play. but I feel like it's really hard to build the right team around him for exactly the reason you said because right. that will get exploited. You can't play him at the four. Like if you can't if you can't build a strong defense with Miles Turner next to him, then I'm not really sure how you can address that, right? Like Miles, yeah. I mean Miles Turner isn't a perfect defensive center, but he's really good, um, and and seems like the type of defensive center that you'd want to pair, you know. So that that would and be my concern. If if we signed Robert Williams to a Jared Allen contract where it's like twenty million a year instead of ten million a year. Now all of a sudden it's like okay I would I would give both of them up for Sabonis, exactly. but we have both Williams and Smart signed on really good contracts exactly. for a few years, yeah. And so now that almost like brings up their worth to the team, 
Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. So. 100%. No, that's, I agree fully. Okay. Thank you. I just needed, that was cathartic for me. I just needed to make sure I wasn't going insane uh, because I was kind of screaming, you know, by myself as, as one might do when listening to a podcast and disagreeing with what the podcast hosts are saying. Nothing that anybody listening to our podcast would ever do, but uh, something that some might do when listening to podcasts. Well, Mike was, as we like to say in, in Celtics therapy, thanks for sharing. <laughs> Sabonis is on my list of guys that I would love to have. I just I don't see a trade that works for these yeah. two teams unless it's a unless Indiana wants a bunch of picks. But let's let's we can come back to that. Let's let's talk more trade. There a couple of deals have gone down as we record on Sunday night. Uh, Robert Covington and Norman Powell to the Clippers uh, for you know Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe, uh, Keon Johnson. And a first, uh, Karis LeVert just went to the Cavaliers for Ricky Rubio, a first and a good second, which means that the Cavs are no longer a viable destination for Dennis Schroeder. Uh, and it also means that Rubio is now, his expiring deal um, is now on uh, Indiana. So Mike, uh, if you want that for his, his uh, bird rights to re-sign him in the offseason, you got to go to Indiana for, for that deal. Curious whether you guys have any other Boston-related thoughts on this. Norman Powell was one of the guys that I, I kind of liked. Basically, what what Keith Smith had written about in a recent article, he seemed a viable option for the Celtics uh, to improve the team this year. To have a guy going forward, uh, you could have turned Josh Richardson into Powell. Basically, was the thought, and um, and I don't think uh, the Clippers paid much for him and Covington. Yeah. So so a few quick thoughts on on each trade on starting with the portland trade norman powell and covington um i agree the clippers didn't pay a lot i think i think the premium asset that the clippers had in that trade was a willingness to actually be in the luxury tax which enabled them to take on that much salary that i think that trade to me was a signal of of how many teams the celtics included which we already knew from all the rumors and and everything that's been speculated but how many teams are truly committed to not going over, you know, being in the luxury tax this season, you know, whether or not you agree with that as a fan uh, or even, you know, on this podcast, I don't think we need to get into, uh, but um, it is what it is. And the Celtics uh, and many other teams will not be going into the luxury tax. And, and I think that was a, that that's the main takeaway from a Celtics perspective on that trade to me. Uh, the, on the Cavs trade, I just wanted to add. So the reason why the the Levert trade specifically makes the Cavs no longer viable for Schroeder is because the most likely way uh, we would send we would have sent Schroeder that way is by slotting him into the the disabled player exception that they got for Rubio's injury. Uh, but based on a tweet from Bobby Marks by trading Rubio, um, that that basically voided the the disabled player exception that they got. So that's no longer available for the Cavs to use in a trade to acquire Schroeder. Thank you, Mike. That's the type of cap minutia that I normally waste our fans' times with. I wasted no one's time. You are all your lives are all richer for hearing all of that nonsense. I agree. Yeah, I agree. That's so, why we're here. Um, I feel like at this trade deadline, I would actually be happy if we offloaded Dennis Schroeder and got whatever in return. Um, and you know avoided luxury rolled, tax avoided the luxury tax and and rolled the dice for the rest of the year with what we have uh which would include josh richardson and al horford and and seeing where that takes us and 
honestly, if, if we end up like we were four or five weeks ago, three weeks ago, even where we're not happy with this team, um, I'd be looking forward to the draft. And if we end up making some noise in the playoffs and we get a worse draft pick, I'm, I'm okay with that too. I think that natural development with this team and the removal of Schroeder would potentially free up some room for Josh Richardson to play point guard. That would be my wish as a backup point guard to Marcus Smart uh, and someone who can play with him a little bit, but that would then give time on the wing for Langford and Neesmith to get a little bit more run. And I think it's really important to improve their trade value or at least see what we got with them. I'm okay keeping Pritchard to limited minutes, but to me, I feel like the potential of either getting a better draft pick or moving up in the draft by using Langford or Neesmith, but needing to give them some playing time to give, get their value up, I think is kind of like more of an organic way to to right the ship here as the Jays continue to take step by step in the learning curve. Would it, but would you guys be happy with that if we just didn't do a whole lot at this trade deadline? I think that's what we're going to do. I, I think it has so much to do with what happens the rest of the way. The, the impact of the recent stretch of games is that this front office has had to make a decision about what direction they're going. And they've been trying to straddle multiple different directions for multiple years now. And finally, we got to a place this year where it uh, was proving to not be working. And it did not make sense to keep these veterans on the team blocking the younger guys' development. I, I was clamoring for more playing time for Romeo Langford, uh, P- Peyton Pritchard, and Aaron Neesmith. And now that they're playing well again, yeah, Josh Richardson is an important part of the team. I was ready to trade him for a first um, and look to the future, at partly not because of the first, that the draft pick that we'd get, but but partly so that we could use that first as a trade ship. And Man, he's he's played really well, um, and he's signed for next year. I I would go into the off season if he, if he is still on the team in the off season, I would try and extend him again for another year. I, I like him on this team. He brings grit that this team needs. Um, he's even hitting his three pointers this year consistently. He's he's been great. Um, so it's hard to trade him now, and uh, the impact of this recent stretch of winning is, I think, I think that. Dealing Schroeder is probably the only deal that they make. I don't think it swings it the other way that you now want to get a good player who can help down the stretch. What, what, but I don't think you're trying to free up as much space anymore for the Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, to answer your question, Josh, I mean, I was opposed to trading Richardson when I think both of you were angling to push him uh, to, to trade him uh, when the, even when the team wasn't playing that well, because he had started being so important and one of the only guys actually consistently playing well, I felt like he wasn't like spectacular, but he was consistently solid even, even when we were playing poorly in December. Um, What, so I, I would be very comfortable with, you know, and and Adam, I was never quite as all in on the idea of trading the vets to play the young guys. And and I think if you go back to the summer, even um, when we made these moves, like I was really high on us getting Horford. I was really high on us getting Richardson. And then I was really ambivalent about us getting Schroeder. And for more or less all the reasons that it's played in the way it's played out, I thought, you know, adding Horford and Richardson would you know, they'd, they'd help with ball movement and they'd fit in and they'd make us defensively insanely good. 
and Schroeder would be a bit of a ball stopper and, and, you know, go for his shot and not kind of play in the rhythm of the offense. And that's exactly what's going on. Um, Schroeder is the only guy we have that's kind of insurance from an offensive productivity perspective for a Jalen or Jason injury which is kind of a little bit of a wrinkle I think with him that gets overlooked like he he was stellar when Jalen was out and he put up a lot of offensive production that we needed during those stretches um but in in kind of the bench role that he's slotted into right now it's just an unnatural fit for him in our system uh so my my trade deadline wish would be to move on from Schroeder um, and, you know, shed the salary. I, I'd love us to get another kind of ball handler uh, just for some additional insurance in that role. But I, I, I like what you proposed, Josh, of kind of putting Josh Richardson in that primary backup, you know, point guardish role um, and, and getting more run for Neesmith and, and Lankford. But then, you know, hypothetically, someone like DJ Augustine or something, that's kind of just a deep bench option in case, you know, if Pritchard just for whatever reason is having a rough game, we just have someone with a a bit more experience that we could bring in if we need it. I completely agree. Moving Dennis Schroeder was my Christmas wish. It is my (laughs) trade deadline wish. And uh, I I want him off this team. I I think it'll be addition by subtraction. Even like if we were, if we lose Tatum or Brown and we need Dennis Schroeder to drive to the basket and get us points uh season's over anyway yes uh i do think that there's value if we were able to get another first round pick in this upcoming draft and could potentially package both of them to move up in the draft i think that the last couple years has shown that if you're in like the top 11 10 11 12 that that's kind of a bigger i would say top 11 like 7 to 11 picks are a lot different than landing like 14 to 16. There's just a huge drop off, I feel like. And, and I think the same is true in this upcoming draft. And so if you could move Josh Richardson to a Utah Jazz, a Denver Nuggets, a Minnesota Timberwolves as they're trying to um, get into the playoffs, I think that that could get you a first round pick that, that might be worth it. Even Brooklyn, not sure how they're, if they even have a first round pick with the, the number of trades they've made to to get guys. But I mean, look, you look at like the Portland trailblazers and where they seem like they're going to end up or even the Pacers before they're starting to break up their team. It seems like those teams are, they're not the dregs of the NBA, but they're going to get some first round picks that will turn into players that will really make a difference with their franchise. And that same just isn't true as we've seen over the last few years when we're drafting 14, 15, 16 and getting a Neesmith or a Langford instead of, a Halliburton or, uh, you know, guys in that seven to 11 range. So, um, yeah, I did, I did mean to, to mention, you know, if we get, I would love to keep Richardson if we were, I, I do think we should be listening in, in the event we get blown away by an offer and, and get a first, um, I agree with everything you said, Adam. I think he's been incredibly valuable. He's been really solid, and I I think it would hurt our team in the near term. But I would understand us moving him if we were going to get like enough of a valuable asset uh, to justify it, such as a a good first. Mm-hmm. Can we come back to some other potential trades here? I uh, Josh, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that Indiana is blowing it up, and I question that. I obviously they 
they are looking to trade either Turner or Sabonis, maybe both. I, I don't know that they're going to trade all of their good players. I don't I, I don't know that Brogdon is going to leave in the offseason. I don't know that they're going to trade Turner and Sabonis. Um, just because it's Indiana is such a tough place to have a team. It, uh, it's not – they can't get free agents. And they, so they're really relying on uh, draft picks and developing young players. And I think that they're one of the few teams in, in the league that – is okay being at a mid level of the NBA where their fans will come see the games um, and they w- are trying to make a leap from the middle instead of totally bottoming out. Um, I-, I can't remember who their front office is led by and what their MO is, but um, I think they're trying to get some value for some of the players that they've decided are not the right fit for them. Um, curious your thoughts of, on that, both of you. I think it's apparent that they're blowing it up. I think it's time to go in another direction, at least from the perspective of the turn or Sabonis together thing. It's just, yeah, this should have happened that... two, three years ago. And so if you're already moving on from Levert, which I think is a sign of things to come, um, I think that if, if Brogdon can't be traded this year, then obviously he's sticking with it. And I think you're going with one of Turner or Sabonis. If I'm them, I'm keeping Sabonis and Brogdon together, and I'm getting rid of Turner next for, and seeing what we can get you know, uh, to fill that void at the wing position or in the draft to then move forward you know, and get younger. So if they trade Turner and Karis LeVert and that's it, that's blowing it up? Yeah, I, I think you're, you're not going to win a lot of games. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're heading for the lottery. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, this is not a Pacers podcast, and uh, but I... I might prefer to trade Sabonis over Turner if I were them uh, because he's going to get a higher return. And I think you can build a team more easily. That's going to be elite defensively around Turner. Well, I know you can do that. Um, (laughs) Someone wrote a really good article about that. Not, not that long ago. Really? I, I, I I didn't see that, but you know, I, I always kind of favor having a, a team where your best players can match up against, defensively against the other team's best players like and that's why i was always you know skeptical of kemba that's you know that's that's just like my and i think that's the current our current management ethos between brad and ime which is why we've picked the players we have and why we traded kemba etc so um if i were indie i would look to kind of i would consider keeping turner and moving Sabonis and kind of getting wow. all the assets you could for Sabonis and like all the picks you can, and then starting to cement around around kind of Sabonis. Um, if that all of that said, if I hope Indy is going to get rid of Turner and Sabonis and Brogdon because Brogdon is pretty much my number one choice for the Celtics to get um, to round out our Agreed. rotation. Like Agreed. if he could be our sixth man, like in the Schroeder role this year it would make me so mind-bogglingly happy. Yeah, nobody's talking about the development of the young guys if Brogdon is on this team, you know, whether Richardson's there or not. No. But, Adam, I mean, just to prove the point of that that their paces are blowing it up, they are now welcoming in in Eric Bledsoe to do his thing out there. I'm sure fans will love to watch that. I think they're going to buy him out. And Keon Johnson, who people are going to get excited about because he's so athletic and, and defensively he can guard the perimeter really well. 
But, I mean, that guy just has so long of a way to go to be any kind of well-rounded player, let alone doing anything on offense. Um, I think he's a little bit of a bust. So I'm not, I'm just, I mean, you just got worse and you're already pretty bad. But Eric if you Bledsoe move Sabonis, after this year, Josh, Eric Bledsoe after this year has uh, a small number um, guaranteed on his contract. I think they may buy him out. Um, and I'm curious about whether you guys would sign him to a, a vet minimum. Let's say no. we trade Schroeder, don't get another ball handler back. Would you try and no. sign Eric Bledsoe? Eric Bledsoe is one of my least favorite players in the entire NBA. Hmm. I don't think I don't think he actually deserves a spot. I think he's uh, on an NBA roster. Done. Yeah, on an NBA roster, I don't I, I don't think Eric Bledsoe is that valuable. Okay. I, I don't want him playing more than 10, 15 minutes a game on any roster. Well, his nineteen million plus next year is only three point nine million guaranteed. So, um, another team that. Uh, is is may or may not be blowing it up is Portland. They have a really odd situation with their ownership right now, so it's hard to to figure out what direction they may be wanting to go in. CJ McCollum may be available. Uh, Mike, you've talked about. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. The the good Sir Larry Nance Jr. There you go. Uh, any guys on that team that you would be going after? No. <laughs> basically no i want nothing to do with cj mccollum's contract i feel like he's just like a worse and more expensive version of jalen brown and then dame just revisit what i just said about defensive te- oriented teams <laughs> plus plus he yep. makes like 50 million dollars a year um <laughs> and i'm betting yeah. they keep dame for now how excited is Dame going to be? I was going to say, I don't think I don't think Dame wants to stay there. You know, they've just turned over their entire like ownership and management now with uh, whatever his name getting getting announced. To, I don't know. That's yeah. I, I send sending uh, prayers and 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 thoughts, positive thoughts to Portland fans because it's going to be a long, bumpy road back. Another team that can't really figure out what they want to do, Sacramento. We had long conversations about Harrison Barnes last year. I continue to be waiting, uh, ready to pick up the phone if Sacramento wants to trade us Harrison Barnes. For me, so Harrison Barnes, I think, would fit in well. I don't see how we would acquire him. You know, he makes, what, like something around $20 million a year. I I would not want to give up Richardson to get him. Um, really? And I, I don't I know. Would. So the thing that if we go all the way back to like where, what we expected this team to be before the season, you guys both predicted them to be in six, which is where they currently are. I thought they could be as good as fourth, which based on their point differential actually is not crazy. They're the sixth mm-hmm. best point differential in the league. Because um, the East is not actually as good as we thought they'd be. In part. Yeah. Brooklyn and Milwaukee are not as good, but both are ahead of the Celtics right now. So, uh, well, Brooklyn's tied, but, um, Regardless, the the team is really it's playing extremely well right now, and it's in an exceptional rhythm. And I'd be reluctant to bring someone in that is not kind of part of that cohesiveness. And I think Richardson's a huge part of why we're able to be in the rhythm that we're in. So I'd be reluctant to take a core member of our current success and and swap him with someone unless they're really going to elevate the team to like a championship tier. And I don't think a Harrison Barnes for Richardson swap does anything to really change the ceiling for this team in a meaningful way. Now, 
your argument might be that Barnes is a better piece to have as part of the core over the next the remainder of his contract, which I might be I I could potentially be compelled by that. It would depend what else we're giving up. Um, but for this season, I don't see any real reason to do it. Yeah, Adam, what's your fascination with Harrison Barnes? Why do you think he's the guy that moves the needle for us? Uh, I wouldn't, I mean, I don't know that anybody really moves the needle for us that we can actually acquire. Um, but I like his shooting. I like his size. I like his ability to play different roles. Uh, I think you can slot him into the four and that's something we've been missing. He's got a decreasing contract. He's got a championship pedigree. Seems like a smart guy. Good in the locker room. Yeah. By all accounts, I mean, I, have, I, I would love him to like appear on the Celtics team. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, I don't, I don't see it worth giving up what they're probably asking for to get them. Uh, another team that's trying to figure out what they're doing is Atlanta. They have also been on a hot streak lately after um, underwhelming this season. Uh, they've got a roster that is too expensive. And so that's partly why they're looking to trade guys. Uh, anybody you think that uh, may make sense for the Celtics to look at? I think you can look at the guys on the fringes like a Gallinari or DeLon Wright you know, for, as a backup point guard, but I don't think that it's a good fit that any of them are really that good of a fit for the Celtics. Even if you're a pro redhead and want a Kevin Herter, I, I still think that, like he won't have enough opportunity. Yeah. So um, with Atlanta, the trade that like kind of popped into my head the other day, um, I put a poll on this and actually the results kind of surprised me a bit uh, on Twitter. Um, if Atlanta called Brad Stevens, Travis Schlank, called brad stevens and said so john collins has allegedly is allegedly available there have been a lot of rumors saying that he's his name is coming up all over the place uh you know if you listen to like zach lowe or brian winhorst all these podcasts are, are saying that john collins's name is being heavily floated around so if travis schlank calls up brad stevens and says john collins and deandre hunter or kevin herter uh for jalen brown and pick one between romeo langford and and Aaron Neesmith. Do you have a conversation there? Do you hang up right away and say, we're not giving up Jalen? Um, or do you just say, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. If Jalen Brown has come to me and said, this isn't working out, I would do that deal. Jalen has not said that. We're talking about this trade deadline. Then I, oh, this trade deadline. Yeah. Do you hang up right away if, if Brown doesn't, has not come to you already and said, get me out of here? I hang up right away. I hang up right away, and then I have a conversation with my team about whether uh, uh, there's a way to change the deal to make it worth calling them back. I do think that Jalen Brown to Atlanta, where he's from, is is kind of an interesting thing to consider. Uh, and I brought it up last pod about you know him for Trey Young. Obviously, there are different levels of players, but I I wonder if there's any conversation there. I would think it's almost like the same amount of conversation with that one as it is for, you know, Brown for Collins. I think that a deal like that makes sense for both sides. The one I'm proposing. Yeah, something like that. It's worth talking about. Yeah, I think I think it's closer than uh, it, I think if Celtics fans fans took off their green tinted sunglasses, it's closer than um they might expect. Uh I think Jalen is exceptional. Um, I think John Collins is probably underappreciated for what he can bring. And I think if you paired him with, he'd be like the perfect player to put next to Robert Williams uh, on off on both sides of the ball. It would, it would have some shades of kind of how uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. And, and Brandon Clark can fit next to each other mm. on both I sides like of the that ball. Comp. 
I like that. Uh, I think just that, throw the ball up and have them. Well, no, no, it's because like on offense, <laughs> on offense, one can space the floor and shoot threes, and the other is like an athletic rim runner type that plays in the kind of that mid, you know, mid post to, to just right in front of the hoop. And then on, except John Collins can also go, you know, above the rim if yeah. uh, Robert Williams isn't out there. And then on defense, um, you know, Switchable. obviously Robert Williams is a rim protector. Uh, both of them can move their feet. Uh, John Collins is an ex- exceptional defender, but he's good or he's, he's passable. <laughs> um, it's more about his effort. You know, yeah. once when he goes to a different situation, a real winning situation, he's going to show a different kind of effort Collins, yeah. I think. So I actually do think that he's going to get better if he gets moved. Yeah. So I just like, I just picture like, let's say we did John Collins and Deandre Hunter, which my guess is that Deandre Hunter wouldn't be gettable from Atlanta and something like that. But, hypothetically if our starting lineup was smart deandre hunter tatum john collins robert williams that is an insane lineup. yeah yeah it's a good lineup. so like i love Jalen, but i think if that type of trade is on the table i think you have to think about it and i don't think you'd be doing Jalen a disservice because you'd be sending him to play next to trey young who he fits really well next to and trey would make Jalen's life a lot easier on offense and Jalen would be playing in his hometown, and obviously being there means a lot to him. So, and you would assume it's a winning situation going forward. Yeah. It's a great young team. Yeah, this is my this is my hypothetical. And sixty five percent of people, Celtics fans that that voted on this, because anybody that is seeing my stuff on Twitter is likely a Celtics fan, uh, said absolutely sign me up for this trade. Wow. Yeah, I think you convinced me. What if it was just Collins and Herder for for Brown? And a first round pick. Um, I think, I think it's a tougher conversation. Um, I mean, I like Herter. He's not, he's not as defensively uh, potent as Hunter is, but I think he's really tall. Um, and that, that, you know, he's got length. He can be effective. No, like being six, seven, six, eight as a shooting guard gives you more defensive value than if you're just a short, you know, like Eric Gordon, like Eric Gordon's okay defensively, but, there's a limit to who he can guard. Yeah, there's a limit to who Kevin Herter can guard. <laughs> That's fair enough. If you're if you're a and, stick, and, if you're a and, stick, there's a limit to what you can guard as well. Yeah, so. and you and you say, well, he's really tall, doesn't really like push me over. Uh, yeah, fair enough. But if you add a if you add a first round pick into that, now now I I'm like now pausing, like okay, Collins and Herter and a first round pick, because DeAndre Hunter, I you know I originally was like okay, it would have to be Hunter and Collins together for me to even consider this. Like you couldn't put Herter in there mm-hmm. and make me even consider it. But if you add a first round pick into the deal, now I'm questioning. So to be clear, I don't think any of these are going to happen. But if I hope not, if a blockbuster trade were to happen, this is the one I've personally come up with or heard that like I actually would be bullish. I would be more bullish on this, for example, than if we traded Jalen to get Beal or if we move you know Rob and Smart to get Sabonis like I I would feel much better about this fake trade and you wouldn't do Jalen Brown for Sabonis right no absolutely not good one Mike I like it well the Celtics play Atlanta three games from now on Sunday after going to Brooklyn and playing at home against Denver Uh, they have a when you look at the next uh, couple weeks or the rest of February, there's a couple games against Detroit, a couple against Brooklyn, Indiana, Philadelphia. Uh, it's a mixed schedule. And the Celtics have the 14th uh, best strength of schedule left in the NBA. Um, the hardest schedule left 
our team is Milwaukee and some of the teams ahead of the Celtics, Chicago has the third hardest strength of schedule. Uh, Philadelphia has the sixth hardest strength of schedule. Uh, Miami is a couple ahead of Boston. Uh, some of these teams ha- have a, a tougher road. So uh, the Celtics are in a good position here to make up some ground if they can continue doing what they've been doing. Do you guys see this continuing? What do you, what are your predictions uh, for the way that the Celtics play the rest of the year? Well, let me look into my crystal ball here because I'm getting something here. I'm getting some premonitions here. Three out of the next four games and four out of the next six are nationally televised on TNT or ABC. And so I'm imagining um, the national broadcasters and national media coming up uh, over here onto the Celtics bandwagon as they're going into these games you know, with on a five-game win streak. Um, I can see the Celtics being you know, promoted and being a kind of a topic of conversation in the NBA as one of these up-and-coming teams. Uh, the Toronto Raptors have also won five games in a row. So I think, you know, for fans listening here on Celtics blog, and obviously as Celtics fans, it's kind of uh, always validating when the national attention can bring up our team as well. You know, and that always happens a week or two late later than we see it, right? And so this is the kind of the point where all Celtics fans are seeing what's going on, but the the nation hasn't yet. And I think a week from now, uh, the rest of the country will be understanding what we're all seeing. Uh, I do think that we're going to go maybe three out of the next four. I think we might win. Um, That's against Brooklyn, Denver, Atlanta, Philadelphia, the next four. Those are kind of the next big games. you know, we played Detroit twice and, and Indiana, so we play some other like, you know, also Rams. But those next Brooklyn, four games are against good teams. And Brooklyn, you know, will be without Kyrie because it's in Brooklyn, so he yep. can't play because yep. he's unvaccinated. Will be without Kevin Durant, and then uh, James Harden has sat out his last two games with this hamstring thing that may or may not be uh, his passive aggressive way of trying to you know, get his way out of Brooklyn, uh, depending on which rumors you believe about, um, <coughs> trade. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, between these two Brooklyn games on the schedule, they have over like the next 10 or 11, um, they're playing Detroit twice in that stretch as well. They're playing Indiana once. Um, I think it's entirely possible they go seven and four, or maybe even eight and three in this next these their kind of next ten or eleven games, um, and and keep the good times rolling. Uh, what I do think, I, I think we're going to see some instances. I alluded to this before um, of the team kind of falling back into it, uh, some o- offensive bad habits and high leverage moments. So I don't think we've escaped like all of our fourth quarter woes necessarily. Uh, but I, I think there'll be fewer and further between. Um, I, I think we finally have turned that corner, Josh. Uh, Absolutely. And, and it is turned. Yeah, I think the defense is for real. It's here to stay. And I think the, the team is going to, the team has a real identity that it can consistently fall back on. It will keep playing hard and with effort and, and play kind of through the, to the end of games. Um, and one one thing we haven't mentioned in all of this, but I think it deserves a lot of credit, is the coaching staff and Ime Udoka. And I think he has he deserves if he got a lot of blame before. I think he deserves a lot of credit for helping um, push, encourage, challenge the players to get to where they are. 
um, through a lot of adversity over the first half of the season. Hard agree with a lot of that. I agree that the the turner has the corner has been turned, uh, and I, I do think the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit. The, this is uh, second half of the year for a, a rookie head coach. Um, I do think there will be a stretch of games where this team will falter. They will uh, go back to some old habits. They will struggle to close out games. They will play down to their competition for stretches of quarters. Um, they will not play 48 full minutes. Um, they will do your turn, my turn. And uh, I think that they will be able to come out of that as well. Uh, so, but, but it's, yeah, it's, Adam, this is not going to be smooth sailing the rest of the way. No, I think I, that's going to be in March. March 1st, we've got Atlanta, then Memphis, then Brooklyn, then Charlotte, then two games later, Golden State. I think that's the, the, the difficult stretch that we have left. Yeah, least, I think it uh, has, uh, dude, I think it has nothing to do with the strength of the other teams. I think it has yeah. to do with what's going on internally for the Celtics. If they lose a couple of rotation players to injuries or something like that, and, and they're not full strength again, that could do it. There could be a number of different things that happen. They just kind of like, it could be one person's personal stuff and, and they're just not bringing it and it brings everybody else down in a way that is troublesome. Well, Adam, I'm just glad that you've taken uh, her back. Uh, I think she's a good one, the Celtics team. And, uh, you know, don't, don't put her too much in the microscope when things uh, go a little bit awry. She's a catch. I'm optimistic about the future. She's a catch, okay? All right, y'all, if you're still listening, you are a part of Celtics Pride. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA or at Coach Motenko. I am not on Twitter. Thank you for listening.